Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. There's no purpose in teaching anybody who don't really want to learn, who really don't want to get to it. Everybody want to play entrepreneur. They don't want the sacrifice that come with this shit. True. Late nights, early mornings. You're going to lose friends, lose girlfriends, family going to call you crazy, not going to believe in you, then you make it, and then everybody going to be like, I'm proud of you, let me get some money. What I've realized that wealthy people understand, mm-hmm. and people in general, it's the small concepts that you can apply to get wealthy. You don't got to be super smart and got to know all the intricacies of real estate or taxes or e-commerce or whatever, trucking, yeah. whatever yeah, it, it is. It's good if you want to be rich in that business, but yeah. you don't need to know that. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know small, basic concepts. Mm-hmm. And one of the smallest basic concepts that anybody can understand is get money by income. Mm. Get money by more money. I woke up feeling wealthy today. My bank account might not agree, but hey, that shit on the way. Me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim, you can't come in my space. You know this game ain't for the weak, it's hard to carry this weight. I keep my balance through the ups and downs, I'm never gonna break. You feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face. Cause it ain't a second, I can waste something food on place. Welcome everybody. Season four of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast, H-Town Edition. Y'all already know what it is. We've been in here. It's been lit, man. Got a lot of gems, made a lot of powerful connections with some powerful people, and today is no different. 
We wrapping up H Town and we wrapping it up with a bang. With a heavy hitter. For real. Real talk. Man, this man been doing the damn thing out here in Houston. Mr. Buyback the Block. We done had him on the pod back. Shit, that's been a little over a year ago. And when he was doing a project that the only SEC regulated crowdfund that was a buyback the block project. That already had everything set up and ready mm-hmm. to cash flow for our community. Mm-hmm. And like he put people in a great investment as that's doing things. We're happy to catch up with this man. If you don't know his story, you're about to learn it. None other than Mr. Chris Senegal. Chris, how you doing, bro? Great, bro. I appreciate y'all bringing me out, man. All right, bro. Hey, appreciate yeah. you coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been amazing. I remember we first connected. We was working on some other stuff that never yeah. came to fruition. I hate that it never happened. Yeah. 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 But, you know, we all, we all, okay. we got time, but we Damn don't got time. Like right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It up, but it's all good. Yeah. yeah. Dog. We got more time to do another one. Like you said, we'll, yeah. we'll make it happen. That part. That yes. part, man. But for anybody who's not really familiar with you and your work and what you're doing, who is Chris mm-hmm. Senegal? And you know, how'd you get your start in real estate? All right. So Chris Senegal, real estate investor, developer based in Houston, Texas. Went to college for civil engineering, got out, got a corporate job, realized I hated it. Started reading books and everything just kept coming back to real estate as being the first generation of wealth creation tool that was, you know, most accessible. So 2008, I started flipping houses, kept my corporate job. Around 2013, I kind of got bored with it. Kind of realized in certain circumstances, when you're flipping houses, doing certain things, wholesaling, you're actually gentrifying your own neighborhood. You're actually, you're actually accelerating it. And so at that point, I just tried to hit reset and just try to figure out different ways to invest in the neighborhood. I don't want to be doing charity, but how can I rebuild the community, make money, and make it a win-win? And so that's really, really been my focus ever since then. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to go over that civil engineer job because sometimes mm-hmm. we get into the investing very deep, mm-hmm. but can you explain what is a civil engineer? So civil, I mean, it's just like life, how you live. So you think about all the things associated with designing, everything that has to do with your everyday life, like from the streets to the stormwater systems to the bridges. Some, all that stuff is tied to your civilian life. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what that engineer does. Whereas like electrical, that's common sense, mechanical, you know, it's like motors and all that kind of stuff. But everything else is infrastructure. If anything that's structural anywhere is really civil engineering. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Did they kind of give you advantage while getting into uh, real estate? Kind of, you know, knowing maybe what to look for, mm-hmm. maybe what areas are missing mm-hmm. to make the quality of life better in those neighborhoods? Yeah, it definitely did. It helps with all those areas. I've had issues on my projects from like stormwater stuff. But then also, it's a good basis for construction, too. Mm. So that was my first corporate job. I was managing like $100 million construction projects, but it was for like railroad terminals and bridges and stuff like that. But yeah, so it definitely helps. And being that you was in that corporate job, was it like a six-figure job? Like, or? I was on track to make six figures. I mean, I was like 23, 24, making like 85 plus like a $15,000 bonus. But, it, you know, it was right around 100 and it sounded like a lot of money until I started dividing up the amount of hours I was working, 67 hours a week. I was like, this really ain't no money, <laughs> you know? And I would look at my boss and my boss's boss, and neither one of them was happy, and they was making 100000 more than me. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this for the next 40 years. Mm. Uh, but did it at least accelerate your option to invest in the thing? It did. It did, because my first flip, I just took all the money that I had in the little 401k that I had for like two and a half years. Because we had a corporate match. Mm-hmm. I just took that money out. I was like, shit, I'd rather bet on myself over the next two or three years with it then to wait 40 years before I can touch it. Mm-hmm. Be a habit. Yeah, like, that's fair. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. But yeah, like I said, sometimes we overlook if you get into that high-paying job, it could just mm-hmm. be an entryway mm-hmm. to what Doing you really need to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, you do your little 
two, three, four years, you like you said, you get that company match, mm-hmm. you withdraw and you invest with mm-hmm. that 401k, mm-hmm. it can definitely open up doors and avenues for you. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I tell people all the time, you know, build your credit up while you got that W-2 because it's a lot easier to get loans and stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if you're planning to leave a year or two, you start doing that early because people look down them W-2s till you go try to apply for a loan and they like, I don't care if you got a hundred grand in the bank, where's your cash flow every month? You can't show them that. Because you're getting licks, you know, like getting mm-hmm. big checks every now and then. That's sporadic. Mm-hmm. Banks don't like that. Know, especially yeah. if your business not even two years old. Right. Yeah. Yep. And not fucking with it. At all. At all. In fact. Chris, another thing I like to highlight out your story is a it's a few things, honestly. But the thing with your son, right? You said mm-hmm. your son you were sixteen years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You still went on to get a good job, all this mm-hmm. stuff. Many people would have said Man, I can't do none of this. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I wouldn't. How am I buy a property? I gotta mm-hmm. put this kid through school. I mm-hmm. gotta do this. And what was that like through that process? Because I know mm-hmm. somebody's going through that situation where they're like, "Man, I gotta take care of this kid. I can't really mm-hmm. focus on bettering myself." Like, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for them? Everybody have different challenges, and everybody has different things that you can use as an excuse or as motivation. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just chose to use it as motivation. I think that part of that is why I am where I am because. I was looked at as somebody that was probably going to fail after that. Mm-hmm. But my whole goal was like just to prove everybody wrong. Yeah, it's all about internal drive. You can't let anything defeat you. You can't let one bad circumstance change your life. I mean, if people come out of prison, as I see some of my boys come out of prison making more money than people that college degrees because they're complacent in their environment and they let everybody else's input dictate their level of success. Mm. Yeah. Now, was your first flip in Fifth Ward? Actually, it was in what's called Sunnyside now. Sunnyside. Way before it was popular, though. This was back 2008. So when I started getting into real estate, flipping houses, when everybody was scared of real estate. Mm-hmm. But if you were an investor, it was the perfect time to get in. My first deal, I actually bought it from home investors. We bought ugly houses, people. Mm-hmm. They had so much inventory they couldn't sell. They actually had to bring money to closing for me to take Damn. the house from them. Damn. Yeah, they had to pull like how Zillow just recently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Yep, they had to offload the properties. Yep. Sup, family? Hope you've been enjoying the show. I have a serious question for all my entrepreneurs real quick. Is your business moving forward or is it stagnant? Don't you want to know how to get more clients, how to build better infrastructure, how to dominate in your industry? Well, you need to be at the 10th Annual Run Business Conference in Dallas, Texas on July 16th. Run Business Conference will have experts teaching on trucking and logistics, government contracts, real estate, finance, credit, business automation, and so much more. Man, look, fam, y'all got to get ready to run. Get ready to run your life, run your business, and run up this bag. You're only one contract away from changing the trajectory of your business. Link is in the description to get tickets. Let's run it. Run Conference 2022. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. That's crazy. What did that project look like for you, your very first one? What was the good, the real, bad, and the ugly yeah. for it? I mean, it was a real ugly house. It was going to be a bad flip, so I turned it into a long-term rental property. It was like a 3-1. Me and my contractor turned it into a 5-2, and I just put it on Section 8. And But it cash flowed like crazy because all in on the project, I was like 80000 But it was making like fifteen fifty a month. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was walking away with seven, eight hundred bucks a month after all the bills and everything. And yeah, so it was a good deal. It was, I kept it for like five years. I kind of oh. want to break down the financing on that one too, because mm-hmm. you said it's two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Banks not giving out money freely. Mm-hmm. What'd you do to make that deal worth their while to say, okay, we'll invest in this? Well, so it was a hard money loan. So you know, hard money lenders they have more flexible terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought the house for like thirty five. Then we put about forty five into it. And then you had closing costs and that kind of stuff on the refinance. I got you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a basic little cosmetic. You know, you don't overdo those type of properties because it's in the, it was still the hood hood then. All right. But yeah, so it, it worked out though. It worked out. Uh, you just got to be creative. I mean, there's people with money all around you all the time. So hard money or just talking to the right people in your network. If you built the right team around you, you got a good contractor, a good agent. You can go to somebody with some money and say, this is my team, not just me. Would you want to invest in something like this? You know, and you know, you, you find investors. I got a question going back to like something you had mentioned right then as well as some you had said earlier. So you talked about like when you're doing the projects, making them affordable. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also being in the hood and you just mentioned like Section 8 tenants. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. can you talk to us about some of the challenges that you can face dealing with like Section 8 tenants and trying to be helpful, like affordable mm-hmm. housing is being mm-hmm. helpful. So like yeah. some of the challenges that come with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yo, so I can tell you a story about the same house. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a uh, tenant in there, she moved some of her nephews in. They were getting into it with some of the guys on the street. And uh, the day after they moved out of the house, I guess they had a street fight the night mm. before. And then somebody threw a cocktail bomb through the window of the house. Mm. Yeah, so, but that's the type of things that can happen. And I had a house for like five and a half years with no problems. And then that incident happened. But I mean, that's what insurance is for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it burned the whole house though? Yeah, it burned half the house. Yeah. yeah, but the insurance. That's the, why you got insurance. Yeah, that's why you got insurance. That's why you got insurance. But that's the type of thing that can happen. You know, it could be going really well for a long time, and then something bad could happen. But that's not to say rich people don't do the same thing. People throw wild mm-hmm. parties and damage rental properties too. That's mm-hmm. what I was about to say. So does yeah. that deter you from investing in the hood stuff like that? Nah, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you just have to have your risk tolerance. You know, mm-hmm. you got to have a plan for you know when those things come about. That's just part of the, part of any business. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. You still got that one, or you offloaded it? I sold that one. Yeah. Yeah, in 2013, when I, when I shifted out of, like, the, the single-family model and mm-hmm. said I was trying to do bigger projects, I just liquidated all that stuff mm-hmm. so that I could have some cash. And so that when the bank looked at all the loans I had on my balance sheet, it would, it would be empty. It would be zero. Mm-hmm. Smart. So, yeah. So what made you, in 2013, what made you go from single-families to switching into multi-families or bigger projects? I mean, I just felt like I wasn't hitting the impact that I wanted. You know, plus I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to answer them gentrification questions. So, like, well, instead of buying one or two houses at a time, let me figure out how I can buy larger parcels of properties got multiple properties on it mm. so buying the block before it was like really a catchphrase yeah. and the first project was i found a guy that owned the whole block that he inherited it from his dad in fifth ward and uh he was just old tired landlord so i talked to him in a seller financing it to me so he owned a finance to me didn't use a bank i was like buying a whole block for like half a million dollars sounds cheap but it's also sounded expensive at that point in time because nobody was buying over there mm-hmm. but my thought was as long as i can control it i can figure out what to do with it you know, and that's how it worked out. So 10% down, 50 grand. I put up half. I got an investor to put up the other half. Now I own the block. No banks involved, no credit check, no nothing. That's hard. Yeah. It is hard. Chris, you, I'm glad you touched on gentrification too because mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about with you before is mm-hmm. the solutions to gentrification. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of us, we look at it as always this bad thing. Like they coming in, they taking our houses, they kicking us out. Mm-hmm. Whenever you moved into this multifamily space, like, how were you identifying areas that were about to be like gentrified basically mm-hmm. to so that you could take control instead of just letting it happen to us? 
Yeah, you just got to pay attention to what the city's telling you is going, what's coming. Mm-hmm. The urban planning department, mm-hmm. they always have five, 10-year plans for the city. Some neighborhoods have their own individual neighborhood plans. So all you're trying to do is watch to see where those things match up and where you hear some activity coming, like city council meeting minutes or like the planning office. All these developers have to put in these applications for all these projects. So you either try to check that route or you wait to see some activity going on in the area. You start seeing a bunch of for sale signs. You start seeing some new construction. And it's one of our neighborhoods then you know it's about to change. That's how it always starts. In Houston, it was a pattern going around the city, like counterclockwise, and the Fifth Ward was like that last area. So that's what kind of gave me an idea. It's like, okay, eventually it's going to come over here. So you just got to look at all those different things together. Yeah. Kind of speaking on gentrification, you had a post recently on Instagram. I guess it was a post from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was like a big, nice, renovated house, and then next to it was, I guess, an apartment complex. It was yeah. like it was on its way back. Somebody's going to probably gentrify it too, but... Mm-hmm. You said you would buy it and do a lot of different things to it to kind of keep rents the same. Can you explain mm-hmm. that concept? Yeah, so this is what I did for that crowdfund for that million dollar project. One of the things we we'll talk about gentrification is the renters, mm-hmm. right, and how they get displaced. And somebody needs to put some type of rent control. They want the politicians to fix it. Mm-hmm. They want everybody else to fix it, but nobody wants to take control of it. Well, if you want to control the rents, you better own the damn real estate yourself. <laughs> it's just your own rents. Right. Number one. Number two, you figure out creative ways to make money off of some of the units that you don't have to raise the rents on everybody else. So that's what I was talking about in that scenario. So what we can do in our own neighborhoods is when they're going through gentrification, you know property value is going to go up, right? And you get return on investment two ways. It's either out of cash flow mm-hmm. or it's out of asset value appreciation, right? right? So if you got a number in there that so you want to make 15%, you know the property value is going to go up 15%. Then technically you met your goal for that year on the returns. Mm-hmm. That way you don't have to worry about going and raising the rents on the residents to increase the cash flow. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have vacant units, like every project I find, I always find something vacant to put into the investment. So I can turn that into Airbnb mm. or a peer space, which is like Airbnb for uh, other yeah, events. Yeah, I mean, like places like this, like if you can find Airbnb, you'd book a peer space. And that's what I have, too, on that same property on my project. So I basically can make what it would take for me to have additional seven, eight doors off of that one unit. Well, I got to raise the rents on the residents. Mm. I don't have to raise the rents. Right. Because I know I'm in an area where it's gentrifying values going up. And I've increased cash flow without having to displace them. Creative creation of cash flow. Yeah. I think this is so amazing. Though. From what we've heard from multiple guests that we've had in Houston, man, there's a lot of, and especially in real estate, it's been a lot of, we're trying to solve a problem. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. We know gentrification is happening. How can we keep rents the same? That's solving that problem. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really dope. And mm-hmm. it makes a huge purpose in what y'all are doing. Mm-hmm. I really do appreciate that. Yeah, man. Especially in Houston. It's the last historically black neighborhood that hasn't gone through gentrification. So we can have a lot of control over the narrative and take a lot of the excuses away mm-hmm. of what usually happens during that process. Yeah, I love that, dog. Mm-hmm. So last time we talked, you know, we talked about the project. What's new with you? What you working on? What's some stuff you can talk about? Oh, yeah, I can talk about pretty much everything I got going now. So, you know, the first project I had was the first component of gentrification I'm always trying to fight, which is how do we bring higher incomes back in without displacing people? That's why I bought the grocery store site. That's the one I'm talking about mm-hmm. with the first owner finance deal. So all those houses for that first phase are oh, built and sold. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to set my own comps because there's no new construction in that neighborhood. Now it's a, t- a bunch of other people doing construction projects over there now. Um, all black buyers, young black working professionals. There we see. go. Yeah, they got equity now. With the, I was selling them for like 280 300 Now all their houses are worth about 320 Hell yeah. Setting them up. Setting yeah, them up for the win. Up, right, yeah. because all the activity in the neighborhood. Then the second project, that's the crowdfund. We raised a little over a million dollars. That's the portfolio I was just talking about with the residents. Some of them been there 30 years. They still there, haven't raised anybody's rents. 
five fifty to seven hundred a month for one or two bedrooms. But the revenue's doubled because I got a peer space over there. Mm. Matter of fact, own network was shoot a series there last week. Wow, so, Damn, that's cold. Yeah, that's hard, though. yeah, yeah. So Ian was in there Friday. Master Investor was in there with his elite group. So people rented for all kind of stuff. Ninety five dollars an hour. It makes six to ten grand a month. Mm. And it's a fifteen hundred square foot house. That's, that's crazy. Hard, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, for real. Ninety five dollars an hour plus a cleaning fee. So somebody book it for two hours. That's like two fifteen after mm. the peer space takes their fees out. And that would have been the whole night worth of Airbnb rent, mm-hmm. if that, because you're going to rent it for like $179 in that area. It's just two hours. It's two hours. Man. You ain't got to worry about changing no linens. You ain't got to worry about uh, washing no dishes. <laughs> it's a play. So the value on that project, we bought it for $1.2 million. I got it appraised about eight months ago. It appraised at $1.9. So the value is going up significantly. We've increased the revenue. Um, all the investors, I've paid our distributions. be the third time this month. So mm-hmm. the only crowdfunding to raise over a million you know, max out at that time and pay distributions out in the first year. And we are around number three of payouts because I bought something that already had cash flow tied to it mm-hmm. instead of buying something that needed a lot of work. Man, that's hard, so, dog. Yeah. And then my big project, bro, this is my baby. Um, I was approached by a church, the first mega black church in Houston. And a lot of churches are downsizing now. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know in our communities, they own like some of the best real estate too. Facts. Yeah. So we right talked. Right on the corner. Right, yeah, right on the corner. So this one is a big campus uh, right at the intersection of 59 and I-10. And I was able to get with the board and the broker that was going to list it. And they let me take the first shot at trying to get a deal done. So I was able to put together enough money to buy the church. Got a bank to put in like four and a half million. And then I raised like about a million and a half. And then the church took a second for the difference. Right. So they let me close on it like that. Bought it for 6.7 million. But it's in the heart of all that redevelopment. Mm. Right. There's a $2.4 billion project going on right across the freeway. With East River, with a golf course and everything, and Fifth Ward, Jeez. ultimate level of gentrification. Golf course, yeah, golf yeah. course. You know, golf course. <laughs> yeah. But look, here's the best part. So, I bought it for six point seven. I just got it reappraised. So, I bought it in December of last year, December twenty twenty. Got it reappraised in September of last year. It appraised for eight point six million. Ooh, Jesus. So it's almost two million dollars in equity in nine months, just because you bought at the right area at the right time. And the church made enough money to where they got enough cash to go buy a smaller campus, renovate the campus, and just, you know, have a fresh start. Mm-hmm. So it's a win-win for everybody. Now I'm taking that campus. We're going to turn it into an apartment complex. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to do a 290-unit apartment complex. And I partnered with some experienced developers. been doing it for a long time, mm-hmm. about 20 years. So, you know, I brought the deal. They bring the experience and the knowledge. Collectively, we're going to build, um, it's going to be a half-and-half half building. It's going to be half over to be market rate for, like, Attracting young professionals. Mm-hmm. The other half, I partnered with the housing authority, and it's going to be affordable housing for like police officers, teachers. So rents regular sixteen hundred. Public, uh, public servants. Public servants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So half of the building will be like eighty percent of the market rent. So if the rent sixteen hundred, you probably can get a unit for like thirteen, twelve, somewhere around there. Mm. But that's going to be for like people that have like a salary cap on. <clears throat> but you know, everybody's going to be blended in, so it's going to be cool. But in exchange for that partnership, the project is property tax exempt. What? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Exempt. Exempt. Forever, ever. Ever, ever. As long as you stay in the partnership with them. Now, at some point, some people pull out because the market's so hot that mm, they'd rather just yeah. pay the taxes and collect the higher rents. Yeah, rent. collect the higher rents. Yeah, but my goal is to keep it affordable as long as I can, as long as it makes sense. Man. Man. That's yeah. cold. That Chris, you mentioned something that I want to ask. You said you brought on those experienced investors with 20 years of experience. Mm-hmm. Most people, I guess, we thinking like 
well, I got to pay these people. I just came off the six for the property. Mm-hmm. How do you get them on the deal? Do you give them equity? Mm-hmm. How does it work? Yeah, usually it's equity in the deal. Because mm-hmm. what I like about equity more than paying somebody up front is they don't get paid unless they perform. Mm. You know what I mean? So you pay somebody up front, they can give you some half information. They really don't care whether you're successful or not. But when you bring them into the deal as a partner, number one, you really need them for something like this. There's no way I could go to the bank and ask the bank to give me a $40 million loan. I've done all these little small projects, but nowhere near that scale. I never built apartment complex, never bought an apartment complex. So you got to have that experience on the team. Mm-hmm. And you got to figure out, what does that work to you? I mean, if you don't do the project, you get zero, yeah. right? Even with this deal, I'm giving up 60% of it in total between the investors and between those guys, my partners. But it still worked it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm learning, and I'm still going to have 40% ownership in a $60 million project. Thanks. Yeah. 40% of a $60 million project or 100% of nothing. Right, right, choose. right, right. I mean, you know, the investors do get a lot more of the cash flow on the back end because you got to have a big investor to put in like $20 million or something like that. Then there's a small portion that the actuals, which you call the sponsors with the people that are actually doing the investing like me and my co-sponsors. Then we share the rest of the pot that's left. So yeah. is this put together kind of like a syndication deal at this point? Something like that, yeah. So the money that I raised to buy the church was like a small family and friends raised, like, 50000 here, 100000 there from like doctors, lawyers, other real estate investors. Matter of fact, Julian Gordon put in 500 Really? Damn. Yeah, he's the oh. biggest investor in the deal. And then the rest of it, we go to institutional money. So big, big groups that have, you know, $100 million that they raised, and they're trying to find ways to place 10, 10 to 15 mm-hmm. at a time, yeah. I kind of yeah. want to get into that. What's, I guess, an insight into raising money for syndication deals since mm-hmm. you've done it so well? Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I think what I've learned is to step outside of how people usually do it. They usually go hire some firm. They package all this stuff up, and then they send it out to their investor network. But a lot of their investor network don't fill out projects. Mm. They don't understand where the emerging neighborhood is. They want to go somewhere that's already prime real estate. So um, I've had that issue with people trying to raise money before. But what I found to work better is just going to the people in our community that got money. Mm. Like I said earlier, like all of my investors, they're either high-earning professionals like doctors, lawyers, mm. got a pharmaceutical sales rep that put in 100 grand. And we got the type of money in our communities. We just don't go to them with the right package, with the right team, with the right projects. Mm. And uh, I always talk about that success triangle, right? You need three things to be successful in anything. You need knowledge and experience, you need opportunity, and you need the money. Right. So in this one, I'm bringing opportunity. Then I went and recruited the knowledge and experience. So now it's a lot easier for me to go talk to people about putting money in. Mm. Yeah. So that's dope. That makes yeah. a lot of sense, too. And I think mm-hmm. that's like something that a lot of people can really draw from. If mm-hmm. they're talking about trying to get into real estate or if you're already in real estate, you're talking about getting into bigger projects. Like, mm-hmm. how do I package this up and present it to investors? Mm-hmm. Because I've only been dealing with me. Now I'm dealing mm-hmm. with other people. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. We'll bring mm-hmm. in, if you need to bring in that experience mm-hmm. or bring in the other parts that you're missing mm-hmm. so that you can make them feel more comfortable exactly. about their investment. You know Exactly, 100%. And if you have the right opportunity, the people with the knowledge and experience are going to see it. Mm. Even if you don't know, you come to them like, hey, is this a good deal? Can we do something with it? They're going to look at it, and if they want to get in, they'll get yeah, in. Yeah, it's a great mm. deal. Yeah, yeah. And if they tell you no, that listen to why they tell you no, and that helps you know how to package it up for the next person. Mm. Figure out if there's a solution for that question or not. So, Chris, with this same project, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. You also mentioned that yeah. you're bringing in a school yeah. to this apartment complex. Uh-huh. First off, major shout out on that. That's a, that's school. Can we talk about that? So get into yeah, it, man. So I mean, once again, it's the power, of the right network, and always being intentional about everything you're doing. So when I was doing that first project with the townhouses, I hired a black broker. His name is Jay Bradley. He's one probably the most one of the well-known brokers out here. He's also like on the state realtors board and all that kind of stuff. The only brother on there, but so he has a commercial brokerage too. One of his commercial clients was looking for a site to build a charter school in Fifth Ward. Wow. Yeah. And they have the top performing charter school. They got uh, 12 campuses in D.C. They got a bunch of campuses in Arkansas, 24 campuses in total. All their schools in poor black neighborhoods. 15% of their student population is considered homeless. 80% is below poverty. 85% on free or reduced lunch. And every campus is in top 10% of academic performance. Every single campus. Every single campus. Yeah, they just got awarded the top 6% in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and they've only been that state for three years. Wow. Yeah. I've been to Pine yeah. Bluff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nah, for real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's rough. And like all the principals, teachers, each classroom has a teacher and two teachers' aides. Everybody's black. Damn. I mean, it's, this is a real dope concept. They own all their real estate. I've never seen a, a charter school. Most people think of them as like freeloaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They own over $200 million worth of real estate. Mm. They own every single campus that the school board's allowed them to buy. The other ones, they lease them for like a dollar. But yeah, so this is going to be their first Texas campus. And with that type of performance, it's like, you know, that takes away another excuse that we have about gentrification, why we can't move back to our neighborhoods because the public schools aren't good. Bring in your own charter schools. That's a solution. A high-performing charter school that's got a track record. I know a lot of them get a bad rap, mm-hmm. but this had been a goal of mine for a long time. But I just kept putting the energy out there. But, you know, the law of attraction says... You just keep putting the work in, and eventually it'll come to you. I wasn't even looking for it at this point in time, but it all just kind of lined up. Yeah. So. so I got a question because you did, you know, you said this about what three, four years ago about the charter schools. Yeah. So what is some of the advantages of a charter school? I've never been to one. I know they got one in our city now, but what's some of the advantages of a charter school? Well, a charter school, you can tailor the education a little bit more. You're not really tied to the budget. Yeah, the curriculum. And each state has their own set of requirements that you have to teach these certain mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. but then you can squeeze other things in there and you know charter school sets its own budget so whatever amount of money they win they can choose to allocate that money however they want within the school and for instance like with this school system man they have a strong underlying message of it doesn't matter where you come from you know it doesn't matter what you look like you know you can be successful in anything you know a lot of kids don't get that in public school mm-hmm. and i mean just the feel of the classrooms every classroom i went through was like immaculate all the kids were happy and it's like we had, so I'm on the board now for the school system. Mm. Yeah. That's and hard. we had a principal of the top performing black school in Fifth Ward, Atherton Elementary. He was the principal there for like 30 years. Even he was blown away at how mm. these charter schools are operating. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big event. And you think about like what they're doing at state level in a lot of areas now, they're taking like black history out of the schools. Like they don't yeah, want to talk about slavery. Yeah. Exactly. Well, guess what? A, char- a charter school can still implement some of that stuff in their curriculums. Mm. Right. So the only way we really control our message and control our kids and make sure they have the proper representation about who we hire for teachers, who we hire as principals mm-hmm. is to have some of these charter schools that are on the same page. Mm. I got a question. So like, I know you said 15% of their, Students are homeless. Mm-hmm. So with the apartment complex being there, mm-hmm. are y'all doing something maybe for the parents that want to send their school there? Or is it just, you know, keeping it at least below that market rate? Like you said, if it's 16, mm-hmm. they just be able to get access mm-hmm. to those $1,300 units. Yeah, the goal is, number one, for the parents that are in that price range, yeah, we definitely want them there. 
we want the teachers there too. Because a lot of times what happens is the teachers that work at inner city schools don't have anywhere close to the school to live. Mm-hmm. So now they got those long commutes. So that's part of this charter school system's plan too, strategically making sure that there's housing for the teachers really close to the campus. So don't have to worry about the transportation expense. You know, they're close, they're close to the school. And yeah, we want the parents to be living there too. This charter school program, they also have uh, programs for the parents that are like having challenges like getting jobs, reading. They have like career readiness for them too. Um, so the goal is that's going to keep the building occupied too. Because if you like work for the city or you work for the police department and administration and you got a certain fixed amount of income, it's like you got a built-in free daycare for your kids because mm-hmm. the pre-K center is going to be in the building. So pre-K three, pre-K four, then they're going to transition the kids and they grow into the elementary school program. Right, that's that's crazy. That's, yeah. that's game changing. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. and it's building a community is making me think back to the old days where it's like. Okay, the first grade teacher is down, is down yeah. the street. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, everybody. Live right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really, really dope yeah. that y'all building that community right there. Right. And, uh, you know, we talk about, like, gentrification. And if you really think about it, it really shouldn't be considered gentrification if we're doing it because all these neighborhoods used to be thriving. Mm. Like, before desegregation, every business owner, every boss, every bank, every lawyer, every doctor lived in the neighborhood. Right? The schools were in the neighborhood. And we had like 0% unemployment rate almost because we was hiring ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and we forget about that part of the story. Mm-hmm. We just want to talk about Black Wall Street. They got bombed, but we forget every city had a Black Wall Street. And that's really all we're bringing back. So everything y'all just said is what my focus is on bringing back, showing how we can do it without displacing the people that's there. And that's one of the coolest parts to me, because like, if you look at it online, people will swear all day, you know, mm-hmm. that like. There's no way that you can do this and make it profitable and mm-hmm. make it like to where it's available to all these people. Mm-hmm. But you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like what Kelly was saying, I was definitely gonna comment on that as well. I hey, put on my little hotel hat. I like what you're doing, my brother. Nah, because that's cool. Like you bring in that community element to it, you bring it in teachers, you bring it in and like even the thing, like none of us have kids, but like mm-hmm. I know that the cost of childcare mm-hmm. Be breaking the fuck out of some of these oh, yeah, parents. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to work, yeah. but I can't put my kids somewhere exactly. so that I can earn yeah. enough money to consistently yeah. put them somewhere. Exactly. Like, that's going to be a game changer yeah, just real. for that community yeah. alone. So, that's yeah. really dope, bro. Yeah, yeah. No, it is, man. It's, it's powerful. And uh, like I said, it's just attracting the right partners, you know, attracting the right energy around you. That's how this group came together. Mm-hmm. So, that's hard. So, I got a question. So, if I'm new to. I want to be in and start doing big development projects in my neighborhood or in my Mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. What are some things that I need to look forward to or do to start doing that? Number one, I'm going to tell you, everybody, I get a lot of people that hit me up all the time and saying, I got so much opportunity in my neighborhood. Everything's empty. Everything's vacant. But there has to be a catalyst. There got to be some reason for you to do it. You don't want to be the only thing that's trying to attract people back. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So you got to wait till you see some time or some sign of something going on. And then once you see that, figure out something to do around that project to where it's like you're hedging your bet, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. like if I'm Burger King and I already see McDonald's being built over there, it's pretty safe to say that, okay, a bigger Some company has done some research yeah. and it's, this is a good area to invest in. So, yeah, I say start there. Number two, understand what you really can build in that area. Like, I'm lucky in Houston because there's no zoning, right? Really? Yeah. So, and like in other areas, you have to get something rezoned for different things. As long as you build to code here and, and you can like tap into the existing infrastructure or pay for more infrastructure to be put in, you can build whatever you want. That's dope. Yeah. That's, that's kind of play out what Tyron told us yesterday yeah. with that. You the can permits, get the permits process permits. and like a day yeah. for existing yeah. structures. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really quick. Really quick. Yeah. And then you got to understand like what's it going to cost you to do it and then understand what's your exit strategy if it's going to be something for rent 
you know, is this the right market for it? You know, if it's going to be businesses, is there enough of the right income bracket there to make the business successful long term? You got to think about all those things. This is the development side and like redevelopment is more about the business case than anything. You know mm. what I mean, flipping one house, it's a lot easier to say, OK, somebody might buy this house, mm. you know, turn it into a rental or, or something. But when you're trying to do a big development, you got to spend a whole lot of money on the front side or when you're trying to go in any new neighborhood. It's going to take you a lot longer to get it done because it's going to be a lot harder to get money. It's going to be a lot harder for you to find people that want to buy into it, too. You know, you just got to have that patience and you got to have like a, a really solid plan for that. But the shortcut is always find somebody that's already done it or somebody that's experienced in it, like experienced real estate broker that's maybe saw other neighborhoods change, contractors that worked in, in neighborhoods like that already so that your team has the experience around you to help you make the decisions that you're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Thank you and, for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because it makes me think back to something that was posted a while ago. I think you have shared something about it because like everybody kept talking about that land that was in Georgia, like that mm-hmm. town that was on free yeah. mm-hmm. And I think like people were kind of saying it was an unpopular opinion of yours mm-hmm. that we shouldn't do nothing with that. Mm-hmm. But you, what you just shared makes a lot more sense because it's like, mm-hmm. yo, this is rural. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really going on out here. Mm-hmm. If we poured all our resources into it, what are we really getting? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we really going to create? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. But it ties in the last two things I said, actually, because it's like, why would we go start over from scratch when we got our own neighborhoods that's already been built? Thanks. You can think about it like this, too. From emancipation of slavery to like 1957, all those neighborhoods were built. Mm-hmm. That means since people was free from slavery, we was building neighborhoods. We built banks. We had 120 black banks at that point in time. And you look at the 1940s, people running these banks, either their parents might have been a free slave or their grandparents was a slave. So they're actually talking to real slaves. Mm-hmm. And we can't have no reason to have an excuse today because that was a much harsher economic climate, a much harsher racial climate. But So if we got all this opportunity that was built off of our grandparents and great-grandparents, why are we going in the middle of nowhere to start over from scratch? Because we think we're going to escape, I don't know, the government or something like that. It could have its benefits, but it's going to take a lot longer time mm-hmm. to get everything in place. And you're going to spend so much money putting all that infrastructure in unless you get some big federal grant, which probably won't happen either. Uh, but you spend so much money on that that, man, you could have rebuilt three or four. Neighborhoods. Yeah, neighborhoods. neighborhoods. Yeah. And that makes sense, too. Like, I'm glad you spoke on that. I always like to, like, just highlight that whenever anybody brings up that historical part of it. Because mm-hmm. I was one of them people. Like, mm-hmm. I'll admit, like, I was one of them people that didn't quite know the history until mm-hmm. I went back and I started looking into it. And it was like, wait, hold on. And on some common sense shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, damn, we had all this stuff yeah. because they shit said white only. Like, mm-hmm. right. we couldn't yeah. go over there. So, yeah. like, we had our own ice cream spots. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. our own movies. Mm-hmm. We had our own, all of that because we had to. And, like, I don't know. My mm-hmm. always big issue with it now or, like, the big thing that I would like to see, like, addressed over time, mm-hmm. if it could be, is, like, the lack of some of the stuff that I feel like they got the head start mm-hmm. in those times. So, like, mm-hmm. you don't see the what's the black version of the Hilton. Right. You know, or like, what's the black version of shit, Red Robin, you know, any mm-hmm. Baskin mm-hmm. Robbins, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that, where we had those regular chains that are like nationwide and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of the distance was created mm-hmm. in that time wherever a lot of our businesses started to stop flourishing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. everybody else's ice was cold yeah, and everybody exactly. else's water was better. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. <clears throat> when, I, when I did that townhouse project, I had a lady that came in. She was like 83, 84 years old. And she was calling some of her friends that live out in the suburbs now. Mm-hmm. They grew up in Fifth Ward. She's like, baby, you can come back now. They building nice houses again. 
<laughs> but look, so then I stopped and, I, and I, I stopped and I asked her, I heard what you said. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? She's like, oh, baby, when I was growing up, my grandparents had two businesses along Lyons Avenue, which was the business mm. street. And she's like, after desegregation, she said, all our neighbors, all our friends, they left. They stopped supporting our businesses. We had to, our family had to close down all of our businesses. Man. She said, I stayed in the neighborhood. A few other people stayed. But I keep in contact with some of my friends who basically we feel like they abandoned us. Mm-hmm. So that's the side of the story we don't talk about a lot. So some of it was like, yeah, they, they did steal a lot of money out of black banks. They did redline. Mm-hmm. But then we also left. We put the nail in the coffin when we left. Mm-hmm. And like we talking about like with the hotel, like the Hilton, you said that. That's a perfect example. Y'all know who A.G. Gaston is? I've heard the name. Arthur Gaston. Mm-hmm. So he funded the civil rights movement. So like the buses, when everybody mm-hmm. got to get bailed out of jail, he was doing all that. He was insurance and hotel owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when all the civil rights leader came down to the South. Was he out of Memphis? No, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Alabama, yeah. When he came down to the South, he housed everybody. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, after desegregation, he had to close some of his businesses. I mean, some of them survived, but a lot of them, you know, he should have been a corporation by now. Right, right. right. And that happens to a lot of our businesses. So they had that peak, right, desegregation, and a lot of them went down. Some of them would have been the corporations that we would have today. Damn. That's just really crazy whenever you start to really think about it and internalize it. Mm-hmm. Like, we really did stop the growth of a mm-hmm. lot of things. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. glad you, like, you was talking about the businesses because I know with, like, your second project, you did mm-hmm. have that grocery store and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Did you bring the grocery store back? I know you said that was mm-hmm. one of your plans. That's coming up next. So what I realized, like, fresh food is, like, the hardest thing to get back in the community because mm-hmm. grocery stores have mm-hmm. such low profit margins. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to bring them back before, but they just kept saying disposable income isn't here. Right. You know, the stuff on the shelves is not really where they make their money. They make the money off, like, the fresh produce, the fresh meats and stuff like that. And so they look for a certain amount of income, yeah, mm-hmm. income at a certain traffic level. So my goal now is to bring the rooftops in. So doing projects like bringing the apartment complex in, you know, doing more of the new construction on the vacant lots and stuff like that. Eventually, it'll be enough of us back over there with enough money. Yeah, to warn it. Yeah, to where it makes sense. Yeah. That's real, though. Mm -hmm. Like, and I love it because it's brick by brick. You know, Mm -hmm. you're finding the problem, Mm -hmm. addressing the problem. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Let's get to the next step. Yeah. That's really dope. And, like, I can't wait to see the grocery store. Like, I want to yeah, go whenever you yeah, get that yeah, open. Like, because yeah. that is really hard, too. I've heard that, like, mm-hmm. as far as, like, the profit margins, you got so much waste. Like, mm-hmm. the only thing I've heard that's, like, comparable in difficulty to, like, supermarket might be, like, a restaurant or something. Mm-hmm. Just because mm-hmm. of all the shit you right. got to throw right. away. Like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But that's Same cool, difference. though. You took the approach of, like, all right, well, cool shit. Let me get enough people here that are yeah. consistently shopping yeah. at the grocery store. Right. And it's not just me. I mean, like, Tyron's in Fifth Ward. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of other black builders and investors that are over there, you know, helping turn that corner mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. stuff. And that big $2.4 billion development is going to help, too. So, you know, just got to make sure we control as much of the narrative as possible when those big projects come. Mm. Shit, I want to move to Fifth Ward. Y'all making it look lit. Yeah, right. Right. yeah. Like you said, a renaissance. Yeah, 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 for real. Yeah. Because, like, that's what I think about once again with what we do with Black Wolf Renaissance and what's going on with what y'all doing here. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to highlight these things because we talked about all these historical things, like how after desegregation, we kind of just fled and kind of been in this, this kind of this space of. Economic stagnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Economic stagnancy. We're not really like mm-hmm. growing as a community. We're not mm-hmm. thriving. But now is the time when we have the opportunity to change that. Right. Or just in help. Houston, just this weekend, we met so many developers and mm-hmm. real estate brokers and people who are making shit happen out mm-hmm. here. Like, if y'all don't recognize that we living through a black wealth renaissance, right. you, mm-hmm. you really sleep. Yeah. And it's now is the time for us to control the narrative. Right. Like projects like what you're doing, mm-hmm. it's opening so many eyes, bro. Yeah. I just got to thank you again for doing for what you do. I appreciate it, man. I mean, that's all, all it's about for me is just 
you know, I got tired of arguing people that had more experience or more education. I was like, shit, I got to get here to start doing some shit and just, just showing them that it is possible. So that's what it's all about. I hope everybody pick it up and run with the ball and do the same thing in every community. Sure. So I got one question, though, because, you know, we have talked about all the success, but, mm-hmm. like, people might hear this and be like, oh, man, this shit easy then. Mm-hmm. I could go do it. Mm-hmm. Can you share some of the difficulties or some of the hardships that you had to overcome with some of these projects? Yeah, so, like, the first one, it was impossible to get funding, so I had to get real scrappy and creative with it because I tried to go 23 different banks. They all told me no because there was no new construction over there. I hired one group that told me they could help me finish the project. I spent like $30,000 with planning, architecture fees. All this. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Civil engineering fees, because I don't use my license. All that stuff, and the plan still didn't work, so I lost that 30, 40 grand. Uh, then I realized at that point, I should just pay for the knowledge and expertise. So I paid a consultant to help me. He actually actually built it himself. And so I finally got that project done. But part of that first group was a whole bunch of people that had great ideas, a lot of ambition, but nobody had actually done it. Mm. So that, that's why I messed up with that one. Yeah, I mean, every project has a shortcoming. It's fall, it, things you fall back and you think about later. I had my budget wrong for the crowdfund at the beginning because I wasn't taking into the account the extra 10% almost that you spend on just having the expense of raising the crowd or raising the funds. Mm. Right. So I was thinking, yeah, I mean, you lose almost 100 grand out of every million just between the fees because you're using somebody's platform. You know, they have their fees. You got just credit card, debit card processing fees. That's two to three percent. Don't sound like a lot till you raise a million dollars. And well, that's 30 grand. (laughs) So, yeah, so those types of things, it's always a learning curve. But, you know, I try to hedge that curve now as much as possible by making sure I'm bringing somebody on a team that's got way more experience, way smarter than me and help me think about it from all angles. That's yeah. really dope. Like mm-hmm. like you said, it even started from that first one. He was like, okay, let me hire this consultant. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, that second, well, the apartment mm-hmm. complex, you're like, okay, I'm about to bring these experts yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Let yeah. me get it done. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to accelerate how fast you can get it done as well. Yeah, So right. thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem, no problem. And I kind of want to go into kind of some personal stuff. So, like, you have one kid or two kids? I got two kids. Two kids. Mm-hmm. So how are you teaching them, or at least the oldest one, to pass on the Senegal legacy? Uh, man, I'm just giving him a real world example of what's possible. And I'm letting him take his own path, whatever he wants to do. Mm. Man, I remember when he was 13, he gave me a Father's Day shout out. And he was like, my dad is a prime example. He tried to be a doctor. I mean, you don't have to be a professional athlete, a rapper, or an actor to be successful in life. Mm. And I was like, I had never actually told him that. But just from him observing me, he saw me be an entrepreneur, you know, walk away from my corporate job and all that kind of stuff. He said, and it's still that in him. And now, so he's going to school for finance and wealth management. Mm. That's dope. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, so he's a senior at U of H on full academic scholarship. This is last semester. <laughs> Let's oh, go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. And he's interning with a black-owned wealth management firm here. Come on, yeah. now. Yeah. And so most people ask him, why are you not forcing him to be in real estate? It's like, that's not my job. My job is not to force him into the same industry. My job is to give him an opportunity to do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And if you want to pass down what you do to your kids, you just got to set up systems. You got to have proper management, you need an executive team in place so that when you pass, they inherit a cash flow machine instead of a job. Right. You know what I mean? So that's how I teach. I let him do what he wants, and whatever I want him to have, I'm going to make sure it's set up for him. Can you kind of explain that process of passing it down and kind of some of the things you you set up? Succession plan. Yeah, succession plan, man. So you got to have different trusts set up and things um, with not legal advice, not accounting advice. advice. (laughs) (laughs) But you have things set up to where it could be 
as much of a tax shelter as possible. Having life insurance policy is really important. Something I heard from one of my friends who hang around some wealthy folks is, y'all ever heard the philosophy of buy, borrow, die? Uh-uh. Buy, borrow, die. Buy a whole bunch of assets. Keep the debt on them low mm-hmm. in the beginning. But then when you get older, pull all the equity out of everything. Live off of that tax-free money and have a whole bunch of life insurance policies. When so you pass, like the, oh. the insurance pays yeah, off all the stuff. And you pass all the assets down to your kids, debt-free. Wow. But, but you've lived the second half of your life. Off, your money. off, off, off of your assets. Tax-free. Yeah. Hey, that's a hack. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> that's a joke, man. Buy, borrow, die. Buy, borrow, die. Telling y'all season four lit, man. Oh, oh man. Buy, borrow, die. Nah, that one just bust my head because it's like, Insurance, they tell you like, yeah, yeah. like they tell you like get enough to where you can cover all your debt, and most mm. people just say like, all right, cool, you know, mm. I gotta I'm have enough for my mortgage, mortgage. yeah, 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 shit yeah. Like that. My man said, pull out everything and yeah. then just make sure you can cover it on the back end. Yeah, yeah. ain't no need for a reverse <laughs> mortgage, then. right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, damn. <laughs> Bust your head off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> real talk. Like you yeah. could just hold on to the asset, mm-hmm. borrow against it instead mm-hmm. of. Mortgage or not, so the bank gonna take the asset back whenever you die. Mm-hmm. You get to keep it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things though, keeping it from going into probate too, though, because mm-hmm. you know that probate process yeah. can mm-hmm. take yeah. a little point. Having the mm-hmm. proper yeah. wills, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, the estate planning documents right, yeah. in place. Yeah, we'll get with my girl. Lily yeah, y'all now. gotta get with our girl yeah. Lily. We got a fire episode with her on that stuff. Yeah, but Damn, man, yeah, that Chris, all right, now I gotta ask another question. Now mm-hmm. your son, he's. In his 20s now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But your daughter, that's your baby girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was like two, 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 yeah. two and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, do you think it's gonna be different for her? Like, oh, 100%. Yeah, your son grew up watching and observing. Yeah, everything. my son grew up. I was still a kid when I had him. I was 16. But yeah, he saw the different process, which still mm-hmm. I think was very important for him to see. He was with me when I flipped that first house we was talking about. He walked mm-hmm. that house with me when he was like seven or eight. He's got to see the entire progression of everything I've done. And with my little girl, yeah, she's gonna have a lot of exposure, a lot of opportunities. And plus, it's different raising a kid now in a different financial situation. I was in high school working at Taco Bell when I had my son, (laughs) you know. But yeah, she's going to have a great experience. I'm going to give her the same bandwidth to do whatever she want to do. You know, just be able to support your kids and not really force them in any particular direction is really the goal. So you're going to spoil it too, though. Oh, yeah, she already spoiled (laughs) Daddy's little girl, man, she get whatever she want within reason. Within reason. Yeah, little girls always get it easier than the dude. Y'all going to put us to work. But anyway, you got to show them how to work, though. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, bro. But yeah. Character, yeah. Real talk. Well, fellas, y'all had any other questions related to the real estate? Wow, Chris, wow. man, well, I'm going to get to my favorite question. What's a personal finance tip or principle that you live by that you'd like to share with the audience? Man, I'm always going to say, dang, I got so many. I hate when I, I got to give just one. I mean, number one personal finance is like, you know, yeah, follow the blueprint, be safe, have that six months saved up. And then when you have investments, don't always think you got to come out your own pocket. There's a bunch of people out there that's got more money than you that actually have more bandwidth to even lose some of it and be okay. Never put yourself in a position where you are borrowing against like your primary residence for anything risky. Because one thing goes wrong and you lose the one stable thing that you have, which is your primary home. So always leverage other people's knowledge and other people's money for whatever you're getting into. Always make sure you calculate all of the expenses tied to whatever business or adventure you're doing. A lot of people start pulling profits out before they really look at their profit and loss sheet and see where all their expenses are going and how long it takes that money to really circulate through the business before you really should pull it out. 
So those are two things that I talk about all the time. That's kind of high level. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we hear the basic principles all the time about diversification, all that kind of stuff. But I think those are two things where a lot of people that try to get into things, get started, and that's what they end up losing, mm. you know, because they don't pay attention to those two. Mm. like that. That's better than five. I think those two are one. So, Chris, can you tell the people where can they follow you? Any, can they invest in any of their projects or all investments, you know, closed mm. right now? Anything like that? Let them know. Yeah, I don't have any open projects right now, but if they follow me, the next time I do have one, I'll be able to announce it to everybody. Just Chris Senegal on everything now. So just my name, Chris Senegal. I'm pretty sure y'all got it written somewhere in the title block or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Investing no more. No, I, t- nah. I changed it because. I think we did what, that, yeah. Nah, it was nah. just too hard for, uh, for stuff like this. Yeah. yeah, Like I would have to say underscore I-N-V-S-T-R. People mess it up. Still spell yeah, it wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why we changed our Instagram. Yours was, what your name was before? Something crazy, dog. <laughs> Too hard to verify. That's what it's my name. Right, that's <laughs> it. Keep, keep it simple. Keep it simple. E- easy, up. easy. Uh, branding across the board. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Chris, yeah. again, thank you, brother. Yes, uh, appreciate, you. appreciate y'all. A pleasure to speak with you and have you on the platform. Yes, sir. Definitely got to do it again. Whenever you launch another project. For sure. Oh, yeah, let no, us know. We yeah. are. Yeah. Bet. Yeah, let's make it happen. We pulling up with the camera. We got to come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The camera crew in action. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make it happen. For sure. I love it. Well, let me give y'all y'all flowers. I appreciate what y'all doing for the community. You know what I mean? Y'all always bringing hot topics up. Y'all always keeping everybody informed. And y'all been at it consistently since I first met y'all. And I love to see the growth. I love to see the podcast and everything, bro. So, you know, Thank I, you, yeah. Man, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Appreciate yeah. It. yeah. appreciate yeah. that, man. Season four is a little bit better now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Now we out here in Houston. Yeah. So we still, next time we're going to hear somebody up before we book an Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, we in this bitch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thank you again, brother. Yes, sir. Well, before we get out of here, y'all, hop into a couple house cleaning items. As always, y'all, thank y'all for listening week in and week out. Make sure y'all leave us that. Five star rating review. We need that. We need the review. We need that. If y'all really fuck with us, take five, ten, thirty seconds. Like, just say, yo, let us know. And like, criticize us if you have to. We want to get better. And that's the only way we're going to get better if you let us know where we fall and short at. We're not going to take it heart to heart. We're just going to. We're going to make it better. We love feedback. It helps us grow the show. And once again, it. Helps that algorithm get it to more people like you who need to hear this message, right? Mm-hmm. Because Black Wolf Renaissance, everybody need to know what's going on. Other than that, guys, y'all get our book, Manage Your Money Like the 1%. Uh, we got these courses, these products. I told y'all last time, buy our shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's buy the fastest it. way to get in touch with us and all of us, actually. If you buy it, go to podium and ask a question. I promise you we're going to get in touch with you. Right. Well, you, these are facts. Well, <laughs> you that, that DM not getting seen is easy nah. as that, that other message. That's a right. fact. But bwracademy.com or blackwealthrenaissance.com, you'll be able to find all our products, all our services. Fellas, y'all got anything else for them? Hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, you better subscribe. God damn it. Subscribe. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Like you said, bro. Like, comment, subscribe. I'm fiending for them comments, bro. Like, it ain't even got to be correct English. I just need what's good. <laughs> <laughs> what's good? Learn a lot. Like, you ain't even got to finish the whole sentence, bro. Like, I just need a couple words. Just hit me up. <laughs> but, for sure. But, on that note, beautiful people, this is Black Wolf Renaissance. In H Town, sign it out. Signed out with the H on that one. Yeah. (laughs)
It's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. But if you're looking for pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and use LT23 to get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order, American-Giant.com, code LT23. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.